Brothers and sisters, the subject today is very easy. And before then, I've been asked to introduce myself because I think um, the speaker will probably do it better sometimes than those who would introduce. My name is Emrys. Well, that's my baptismal name. And um, I'll tell you the reason why I'm giving you that information in a while. I grew up in a Baptist church back in Nigeria. I was born and bred in Lagos, probably, well, they say it's the most populous city in Africa. And believe me, it's a madhouse, <laughs> you know. And um, growing up in Lagos afforded me the opportunity to mix with different people from different tribes. Well, and a few white folks too, really. But um, I'd like to tell you that we've got about 250 tribes in Nigeria. And I'm sure you can't tell us apart, but we know ourselves and we can tell ourselves apart. So I was born Ulukorede, it means a Lord has brought goodness. And the reason for that name, as far as my dad was concerned, was that myself and my twin sister who were the runt of the family, the last to be born, were actually not planned. So he assumed to himself that if we came unplanned, then God must have a reason for that, to bring the goodness. And Emrys is Welsh. It's actually the Welsh for Ambrose. Um, for those of us who know a lot of folklore, we will remember, although I didn't realize when I was choosing that name, that, um, well, during my baptismal, baptism, that... Um, Malin, the so-called magician of the Celts um, in the Arthur's stories, was also called Emrys. But the meaning is divine, of the immortals or divine. I chose it because I like the fact that Christ has taken me out of the gutters of sin and made me a divine creature. When I met my wife, well, incidentally, I committed matrimony sometime in November 20, on November 29, 2003, and I was sentenced to life with her. And um, she, she has a name for me. She calls me Treasure. I think she overrated me, really, but um, I like the name. Well, when I met her, I had a lot of Christian female friends around me. I was single, I was searching, just waiting for God's will. And I used to tell my wife, I used to call her gorgeous, right? Of course, I called a lot of women that. And it wasn't flattery. If you were not gorgeous, I wouldn't call you gorgeous. I just wouldn't tell you you're not, but I wouldn't call you gorgeous. And so I did not realize that she thought the name was for her, the nickname was for her alone until she heard me call another lady gorgeous and she flipped. Of course, I couldn't understand it. Most of us men are dumb, really. But eventually I came up with a name for her. It's um, something we coined from the, from the French language. Elle means, simply means she in French. My people would call beautiful ladies Elle, which is she is. Just like that, she is, no? just like God, I am, right? And so I, I started calling her Elle and I made, sure my, made up my mind and made sure that I never committed the sin of calling someone else that name. And why are we talking about that today? The topic for today is, 
a question to each and every one of us. What is your name? What is your name? Incidentally, our main text that we'll be rounding up with is right there. And I didn't realize it until I stepped in here again. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. And we'll, I'll just read that briefly. And it says here, Therefore, God elevated him, Jesus Christ, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Brothers and sisters, it's not a future time. It is from the time Jesus paid the price for our sins. And even before then, because the scriptures makes us understand that he, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb of God that was prepared for the redemption of our sins from the foundation of the earth. God was not taken by surprise. He knew this would happen long before he created us. And so, it's not a surprise. It's not a future experience. It's something that has already been happening that we all will bow before Jesus Christ. And it is left to you, brother. It's left to you, sister. What mood you'll be in when you do that bowing? Are you going to bow in adoration and love for he who loved us first and laid down his life for us? Or will you be doing it out of terrible fear of what's coming to you? You see, I told you about my name earlier, and there was a reason for that, as I said. Usually in almost all cultures, I want to believe in, other, many, in all cultures, but I have not been, uh, I've not been exposed to all the cultures. I want to believe that people would give names with meanings. In the scriptures, we will see people, ladies or women giving birth or their fathers giving them names based on what has happened like Jabez, like Benoni, right? And um, we also see in the scriptures how some of those names, when they do not align with what the father, either the, fa the biological father or her heavenly father, wants for someone, how the name is changed. So for instance, Jacob looked at his son and said, I am not going to name my last son a son of sorrow. I would rather name him the son of my right hand. And he named him, or he rechristened him, Benjamin. And so, I'm sure that each and every one of us here, if we ask ourselves, some of our favorite people in life, either friends, lovers, brothers, sisters, or parents, must have given us some pet names. I had a lot of nicknames. Some of them are not very sorry because, you know, some bullies gave them to me when I was in school. Well, the only one that I eventually stuck was boneless because I was quite lean and they used to make fun of me that I felt like when I was playing soccer, I moved like someone who didn't have bones, like an amoeba, right? And so they called me boneless. But I think I like treasure better. Really. So, you see, in the scriptures, we'll look at Genesis chapter 17. And please, I implore you, do not bother opening right now because it will be a bit fast. Genesis 17, verse 5, we see God visiting Abraham again after 13 years. We will discuss those 13 years of absence between God and Abraham very soon. 
And he said, your name will no longer be Abraham. It will be Abraham. So God, God rechristened him. Also, going down to verse 15, we see where God told Sarai, you will no longer be, your wife will no longer be Sarai. She will be Sarah. And going further, we remember that Jacob was named Jacob because he was a supplanter. Based on the revelation that was received from God and from the way the, um, the birth took place. Right. So, at a point in time, in Genesis 32, verse 28, after Jacob had been taken through a bit of a hell, a taste of his own, uh, he was given a dose of his own uh, pills in the, in the hands of someone who was a bit more professional than him when it comes to deceiving, his uncle, Laban. God visited him and God renamed him Israel, which means wrestles with God. And also, we'll see in the scriptures where Jacob, the nation named Israel as a people now, were referred to at several times in the scriptures as Jeshurun. I think that's a wonderful name. I wish I knew that before I got baptized. I'll probably be called Jeshurun, not Emrys. And it means the upright one, the righteous one. In Numbers 23, verse 10, funny enough, the first person that mentioned that name was Balak who was supposed to go cause Israel. But God caused him to prophesy good things to Israel. We also saw it in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 26, and also in Isaiah 44, verse 2, where Israel, the nation, was referred to as Jeshurun. Now, in a bit, we will discuss a few things here. Were these people perfect? It's amazing how God would look at Israel, Israel of all nations. The guys who didn't even believe him, the guys who didn't know about him while right in Egypt, they, they spent 40 years when they should have spent 40, 40 days because of unbelief in the wilderness. And as we heard earlier from our brother, uh, was it brother that said it? Wilderness is not a pleasant place. No, sir. I think it was our brother sitting right there. He, he said, during the first service, the wilderness is not a pleasant place. And so their unbelief kept them there because they were not ready to be a nation. Now, I'll tell you a few things today about one of the reasons why that happened. And this I usually share with people when we're discussing politics. God will never make a nation of slaves. If you have the mentality of a slave, and what is the mentality of a slave? We must return to our masters. Any little thing, they do not want to take responsibilities. They're looking for someone to blame. They will blame Moses, they will blame Aaron, they will blame anyone they could find except themselves. They will not take responsibilities. Free men and women build nations, not slaves. So the slavery was not a physical bondage, but was a bondage of the mind and a bondage of the heart. Their hearts were not right with God. And so God kept them there until the last of them, except for the two that truly believed in him and that saw themselves as more than slaves, led the others, a new generation that was born in the wilderness, into a nation, a generation that never knew bondage. So brothers and sisters, I need to we need to understand this this morning, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
the spirit of slavery or bondage, but a spirit of free-mindedness, of righteousness and holiness before him. And most especially, joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, you see, all of these people, let us analyze them a bit. Why did God abandon Abraham for 13 years? Because he went his own way. God was leading him. And immediately his wife stepped in. Oh, wife. It's an amazing thing. You know, I, I had an unbeliever lecturer when I was in school, in university. He said, he would look at, his, at the ladies and said, huh, when I see you, woman, I remember what my wife does to me. I can't shoot her. I can't live with her. Well, he's divorced, but um, I understand <laughs> why he's saying that. But you see, they're a wonderful creature to have around. Do you realize that Eve was tempted, was deceived by the serpent, but Adam was not deceived by Eve? He just took it. That's what men do when they're in love. And so here was Abraham in love, and of course in despair, and Sarai walked up to him and said, Okay, I've concluded that I can have a child. So I'm going to give you Haggai. And you're going to lay with her. And you're going to give me a son by her. And so, neglecting every promise, everything God has ever told him, he obeyed his wife. And for that, God did not speak to him for 13 good years. Until Genesis chapter 17. But you see, when God came back to speak to him, what did God do? God first restored him. Said, be you separate and walk before me and be you righteous or holy. And that's the relationship God has called each and every one of us to. Brothers and sisters, a lot of people back home in my country, we make a big deal of what doesn't make sense sometimes. So in, in a... You're filling an official form, a government form, and thankfully that doesn't happen in Canada. They will write there your tribe, your state of origin, regardless of whether you're living in another state and paying your tax in another state. You do not get certain benefits than the indigents of that state, like the indigents of the state. And then they put there your religion. And so when I got this epiphany, so to speak, I began to fill the forms, none. So when they ask me for religion, I say none. And that caused a bit of opera sometimes. But that's the truth. You see, God didn't call Abraham into a religion. He called him into a relationship. And that was the turning point for Abraham. And until we understand that we are not Christians, because we're born into a Christian home or by the accident of birth, or by choosing to come to church, or by even being a worker in church. That's not what makes you a Christian. That's not what makes you a follower of Christ. Until we realize that, we are not in relationship with God. And that was the point when Abraham became, well, when Abraham became Abraham. Now we look at Jacob, and we'll see the same scenario, although playing out in a different way. Now, when your children do certain things, when my kids do certain things, I've got three wonderful pains in my neck. You see, these folks, 
I look at them sometimes and I tell myself, no, that must be their mother's DNA, not mine. Because when you begin to look at what Jacob was like, you will probably see a lot of DNA from the house of Rebekah. Laban was a terrible, was a terrible trickster. I think Rebekah got a bit of that and helped Jacob along the way. And of course, Jacob got a bit of that as well. But when it was time for God to show him that what you're struggling for, to get by your own power and might, I will give you by grace. God turned the situation around and God called him Israel. Someone who is victorious or who contends with God. And you see, the DNA continues really. You remember the other sons, when they sold their brother into slavery, they didn't even tell their, they didn't tell a lie. More, well, a little bit of a lie. They didn't say an animal killed him. They simply dipped the, the robe in blood and showed it to their dad and left their dad to reach his own conclusions. And that was convenient for them. It's the DNA. But you see, it's going to be, come to a time when you exchange the DNA from carnality with that of God. The things God has chosen to call us. Now, we all know that names usually would come with all sorts of um, meanings and connotations. Sometimes when you join a cult, for instance, they want to give you your name or secret name. We will see that in Daniel chapter 1, when four Hebrew boys, four Jew boys, went into captivity in Babylon. And in verse 7, all the four of them were renamed. First of all, the name was to make them like Babylonians so that they sound like Babylonians. And also, the name was to initiate them into a relationship with the gods of the land. And so Daniel was named Belteshazzar, Ananiah was named Shadrach, Mishael was named Meshach, and Azariah was named Abednego. I bet you, when we say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we, most of us don't even know their Hebrew names. <laughs> and that's it. That's the essence of name. It gives you a new identity. It gives your life a new meaning. And you see, God is in the business of renaming each and every one of us. We'll remember Paul used to be Saul before his conversion, right? But most especially, this is one beautiful thing about the old essence of this. God does not care who you are or what you've done. As long as you come to him. Now in Nigeria, I told you I, was, I came from a Baptist church setting. And when I gave my life to Christ in 1993, just before I was 20 years old, I was in university. God made it clear to me that he was not the author of any denomination and therefore, he was not the author of confusion. And so he said, never step into a denomination again. Look for a local assembly where the truth is preached and worship me there and serve me there. And that's what I tell my children. And thankfully, like the Rechabites, the sons of uh, the grandchildren of Rechab, they seem to follow that a bit. But of course, I also need to let them know, and I've always told them that, Learn to hear God for yourself. Don't say, because this is what God told my dad, then that's what I'll do. Why don't you ask God for what God tells you? It's a relationship, not a religion. A religion means that there are dogmas, there are things to follow. 
But relationship means you are getting direct information from the source. And it's a two-way thing, brothers and sisters. God demands our humility in order to humble ourselves enough to submit to his lordship. So we're not only just going to accept his salvation plan for us, we have to submit to the fact that he is our Lord, master, and not just our savior alone. And that's a difficult thing, especially for adults to do, especially when we are in control of things. And we see that also in the scriptures. So someone like Abraham could have easily walked up to God and said, hey, God, this is what my wife said. What do I do? Oh, he didn't do that. And so we find ourselves falling short. And who's best to know this other than David? This gentleman was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He was a wife snatcher. But let's look at this. There was a time in the scriptures, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, if we read from verses 24 to 25, when David and Bathsheba gave birth to a second child, God killed the first one. And then there was a second one. And David named him Solomon. But the scriptures make us understand that and God loved him. Verse 24. God loved him. You ask yourself, I'm a product of a bad relationship. I'm a product of bad decisions. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. Can God love me? There's your answer. God loved him. It's not about what you do or about who you are. It's about what you've decided to do with the knowledge of the salvation plan of God. And that's it. Are you walking in that knowledge? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you decided to have that new name? Now I'll tell you this, and this is where I'm going today. If we look here, and now we can check in the scriptures. If we look in Revelations chapter 2, verse 17. Revelations 2, 17, and then I'll be reading Revelations chapter 3, verse 12. I'll tell you, apart from all the beautiful things God gives us, this is one thing we will get. So Revelations 2, 17, and I've been reading all the while from New Living Translation, says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give him give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Brothers and sisters, God's going to give me a pet name. And he has one for you as well. And in Revelations chapter 3, verse 12, it reads, All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I'll write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Okay, so for some of us who have compound names, we might identify with this. This is what Jesus Christ has promised to bestow on us. 
is going to give us a new name known only to us. You'll have your name. I'll have my name. But I'll know him because he is my shepherd. I'm his sheep. When he calls me that name, I will hear it. I will know he's calling me and I'll respond. And then he's going to give us the name of God. We've been sealed by this name the day we receive the Holy Spirit as a seal of our salvation. We are named by the name of God. When I walked in today and was greeted by Brother Brian, he said, why do people have surnames anyway, last names? I said, maybe so they know Emery is the son of the carpenter, different from Emery is the son of the stonemason. That way they don't send Emery is the son of the stonemason to jail when Emery is the son of the carpenter had committed the offense. But this time around, we all have a beautiful last name, Jehovah himself, our God Almighty, our creator, our ultimate benefactor, our father. And then the third name will be given is the name of Jerusalem itself, the new Jerusalem. And lastly, we'll have Jesus' new name. Even Jesus himself will have a new name. And that name, we will be called by it. All of this seems a bit fantastic. Looks like something out of Disney. Oh, yeah, if that's what Christianity is all about. But no, that's not necessarily so. This is all about relationship. I don't know if any one of you have ever given a nice pet name to someone you don't have a relationship with. You just look at someone, maybe living three streets down the road. You see him one day or her, you know, just walking the dog. And you say, hey, I'll choose to call that person a nice pet name. Now you could do that out of fun, but the fact is you probably not even recognize the person next time you meet. And if you did, the person does not know that you gave him or her that name. There was no relationship. And that is it. And so for all my kids, I've got pet names. Some of them are not very kind <laughs> because I'm not a very nice person, but for the grace of God. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if they have pet names for me, but they dare not call me the name. <laughs> but you see, the truth of the matter is this. This is a relationship we enjoy with God as our father. And if you are not in relationship with God, this is not the only thing you're missing. You're missing so much more. I'll tell you one of the things you're missing. One of the things you're missing is that the devil also likes to give names. The devil will tell you you're unworthy, you're guilty, you're vile, you're not deserving of God's grace. You're doomed to hell within. And so you can choose to bear the name the devil gives you, or you can choose to come for the name God has for you. It's all your choice. Brothers and sisters, I would like to end with a few scriptures from Revelations. And I'll tell you why I'm reading Revelations. I realized that before I gave my life to Christ, and it was a funny story, really. There was no nothing to it, but I'll tell you the story. I just got tired of praying every night for God not to let me die because I knew I was going to hell. That was it. I can't remember the dates, like some people. I just knew that I was in 1993 before I became 20, I, I, before my 20th birthday, and that was it. And so it doesn't matter to God your reason for coming to him. It doesn't matter if you're trying to run away from hell or if you're trying to run to him in love. All Jesus Christ is inviting you to do is come. That whosoever believes in him will have a new name.
and of course, eternal life. So I'd like to read from the book of Revelations, and I'll share two profound truths with us today before in closing. The truth number one is this. There is no demilitarized zone in the spiritual realm. You can't sit on the fence. You are either doing those things that are pleasing to God, or you're doing those things that are pleasing to the devil. There is no two, there, there is no sitting on the fence. And so it also means from what we've read in Philippians 2, that verse 11, everyone without exception will bow to Christ. Without exception. So as I said earlier, are you bowing in adoration or will you be bowing from trepidation, knowing where you're going on the other side of eternity? This is the second profound truth. And it hurts me to tell you this, and I'm glad the children are not here because I, my intention is not to spook anyone. Nobody will miss you in heaven if you're not there. Nobody's going to cry over you. How did I know that? Revelations chapter 7, verse 17. Revelation 7, 17. For the lamb on the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There's not going to be sorrow in heaven. So where's the place of someone sorrowing over a lost one? No place. So when you are asked or when you are implored to please surrender to God's salvation plan, to give your life to Christ, it is for your own good. Your dad's salvation is not going to get you to heaven. I wish my wife's salvation would get me to heaven. I'd rather just be unsaved and let her do all the salvation. But the truth of the matter is this. We will each stand before the throne of God on our own accord how we've accepted that salvation plan our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave us. So I would like to read also from the last chapters of Revelation. Revelation 21 from verses 1 to 4. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw in the city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from heaven, from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and it will be, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Brothers, sisters, no one's going to miss you in heaven if you're not there. So at the end of all things, when God's plan for eternity unfolds, what's going to be your place? It will be decided by you, nobody else. The Bible makes us understand that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. There is no other plan. There is no other plan. So let's just get with the program.
And if you want to seek other plans and you think you're one of those people that say, hey, Christ can't be the only way, the only truth, the only life. There must be other ways to heaven. Well, you're welcome to try. Keep trying. That's not a saddest thing to say. That's saying, if that's what you want to do, then do it. But be sure that's what you really want. Um, the musician Lacrae made a profound quotation that I always love to talk about. And he says, if on the other side of eternity, we'd find out that I've been lied to, I've been living a bad life, well, I've been living a lie of life, uh, a life of lie by being a Christian, then, well, I've got nothing to lose because then I'll only be losing on earth by not enjoying myself as I wanted to. But if I find on the other side of eternity that Christ was right all along and I did not get with that program, I would have lost eternally. Well, that's just a paraphrase. That's not how it puts it. But you see, brothers and sisters, we have to make up our minds. Are you letting this opportunity pass again? And in all of this, I'd like for us to consider the last scripture for today. See, before I gave my life to Christ, I hated Revelation. I hated that book with a passion. It was scary. It's, it sounds like something out of a horror movie. But believe me, it's wonderful knowing my future. And in Revelation chapter 22, I would like to read from verse 16 in closing. And this is Jesus Christ speaking. I, Jesus, I have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to the throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bright say, and the bright is the church, in case we wonder. The spirit and the bright say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires, Drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book. If anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues and the described in this book. Brothers and sisters, let's keep to verse 20. He who is a faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming. Christ is the witness between us. Christ is the witness between God and us, the mediator. He knows what he has asked us to do. We know what he has asked us to do. Whether we do it or not, it depends totally on us. It's not because God requires our work. It's because God requires our submission and our subscription to his plan for our salvation. And my prayer today is that if there's anyone here, yet to be bothered enough about these things, God will put a bit of a trouble in your heart until you find him. If you're here, you're not sure of your salvation. I'm sure there are elders in this um, congregation that you can speak with. The salvation is eternal and it's sure. You're not going to be saved when you, when you die and go to the other side of eternity. You will be saved the day you give your life to Christ. That is when your eternity in the good life begins. And my prayer is that I do not miss out of it. My prayer is that you do not miss out of that eternity. Because if you do, 
You will not have the new name. You will never know the new name Christ has for you. If you do, nobody will miss you.